0: Bible with you if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 9. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke and uh, we've got to Luke chapter 9. We're going to pick up at verse 37 and we're going to read to the end of the passage, uh, sorry, the end of the chapter. And whilst I realize it's a long passage, um, my intention is to finish Luke before I retire, (laughs) um, which I have no intention of anytime soon, just to make it very clear. Um, So in order to help us with that, we will be uh, delving into the remains of Luke chapter 9 today. It would be very easy to do this over many weeks, so we're not going to get into as much detail as perhaps I'd like to. um, But I want us to keep us moving uh, through Luke. So Luke chapter 9 and verse 37. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marvelling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is the least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? kind oh, of friendly, isn't it? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and the birds of the, nest, sorry, birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hands to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Okay, let's pray and uh, then we'll spend our remaining time this morning looking at this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for revealing more of heaven to us this morning. And we pray now as we spend this moment looking at your word together, we pray, O God, that you would be our teacher by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to understand what we've read. Holy Spirit, please apply it to our lives that it might do us good. Lord, please speak to us. Give us ears to hear what you're saying this morning to us. Lord, I pray you'd help me to communicate well. Help me to serve your people. And Lord, in order that we might see you afresh and understand you more this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> okay, so what we'll do, we'll break it into some different sections. And uh, just to make it different, we'll start at the end and work backwards. So we'll, we'll kick off with the, uh, the, the, uh, the first bit we'll look at is the last bit that we read. And then we'll end up with the first bit that we read that makes sense? So you might want to keep your Bible in front of you so that you know where we're heading. But uh, the last part of the passage we read there from verse 57 through to the end of the chapter is really talking about the cost of following Jesus. It might even be called that in your Bible. That may be a heading that you've got there. It's certainly in the NIV with that heading. And at a first glance there are some quite shocking things that Jesus says here. Actually, it's quite a difficult passage to understand, because you read it and think, can Jesus really mean that? If you take it at face value, you could be quite offended by what Jesus has said. Now, actually, people being offended by Jesus is nothing new, and it's not unusual. He did make a point, often, of offending the Pharisees, amongst others, to make a point. Is that what Jesus is trying to do here? Is he really saying that burying your father isn't important? Or that saying goodbye to your family before you go is wrong? Is that really what Jesus is, is doing? Well, to understand this well, we need to understand something of the cultural and, and language norms of the day. The sort of phrases that were used in everyday language. And if we understand those things, it will help us to understand what Jesus is really saying here, and help us get behind what we're reading. So as Jesus is walking along, somebody comes up to him and says that he wants to follow Jesus, like many others have said at different times, and there were others that were indeed following him. But Jesus' reply makes it clear they don't really know what they're saying. And interestingly, we're not told what his response is. In essence, Jesus says that he has nowhere to rest, nowhere to lay his head. And a little bit earlier in verse 22, Jesus makes it clear that he is going to suffer. The disciples, remember, and many of the crowd would have been hoping for a political Messiah, somebody that would come and deal with the Romans, get rid of them, and uh, deal with that problem that was facing them on a daily basis. They were looking and hoping for a glorious Messiah that would be victorious in battle and restore the land to the Jewish people. But Jesus makes it clear that he's got nowhere to rest, he's going to suffer. That's not really the sort of Messiah they were expecting. It's not that he wanted to be this great, powerful political leader who would overthrow the Romans, that wasn't on Jesus' agenda. Actually, his agenda was far bigger than that. It wasn't just a short-term victory that Jesus was looking for. Jesus was looking for his kingdom to come. And we've used that phrase already a lot this morning. And time and again, you find Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. You find him speaking about it. You find him sending out the 12, and then the 72, as we'll look at next time, with instructions to preach about the kingdom of God. And that was far greater, and is indeed far greater, and longer lasting than any short-term political victory. But many of his day were wanting Jesus to be something different, something that he was not. And When they came up, up against that, many walked away. They weren't the person that, he was hoping, uh, that they were hoping him to be. So lots would have come and said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, thinking that Jesus was going to fill their agenda. And actually, when they realised that he had a very clear agenda of his own to do the will of his Father, many didn't follow, many walked away. And actually, that's not so different, is it, from today. There are lots who say, yeah, I'm going to follow. But actually, it's a smaller number that carry on following over a period of time. I guess we've all seen people respond to the Gospel make a commitment, maybe in a guest service or put their hand up at a meeting, maybe do an alpha course to make some sort of response, but not actually follow it through over time. And maybe you've seen some of your friends make an initial response to Jesus, but it never seems to take root and take effect, and they end up not really walking with the Lord over a period of time. Well, that was true in Jesus' time, and it's true today as well. In that respect, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. And in fact, the the parable of the sower that Jesus talked about shows us that, doesn't it? There'll be some who respond well and produce great fruits and others that, for whatever reason, be it worries and pressures of this life, choke out the life of God in them, what the Holy Spirit is doing, whatever it might be, they end up not following Jesus and not walking with him. Not every initial response is carried through. But this account continues here. Jesus calls somebody else to follow him. But this guy says that he wants to first go and bury his father. So another Jesus calls, he says, he wants to go back and say goodbye to his family before he follows Jesus. And Jesus has strong words to both of these guys. Is that really fair? You might read it and think, well, what's going on there? He supposed to go and bury his dad and go and say goodbye to the family. Is that, is that, is that fair to be so harsh to them? Well, we need to understand what's really going on. And we need to look at the language that Jesus is using to help us understand that well. So the phrase, let me first go and bury my father, actually, that's a traditional phrase that's used in the Middle East. And it refers to the duty of a son to remain at home until such a time as his father passes away. So what it doesn't mean is that his father has just died and he literally needs to go and sort out funeral arrangements. Because if that had happened, then he wouldn't have been where Jesus was anyway. He would have been at home sorting out those funeral arrangements. So actually, it's a phrase that is used that says... I just need to stay at home, stay with my father uh, until he passes away, and then I'm free to follow. In the next conversation, another man says, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Well, that seems like a fairly reasonable request, doesn't it? You know, if I'm going to follow you, Jesus, can I just go and say goodbye to the wife and kids, or mum and dad, or whoever it might be that's at home? And again, Jesus has a fairly strong rebuke for him as well. But once again it would serve us well to understand what the phrase means. And so commentators who have looked into these things, and indeed even in more recent times, lived among such people in the Middle East, helpfully teach us what this phrase means. In this culture, it means that the person leaving must request permission to leave from those who are staying. So it's not just a can I go and say goodbye. What it means is, I need to go and ask permission from those who are staying that I might have permission to go. Do you understand the difference there? It's quite quite distinct, isn't it? It's not just saying, I'm off, goodbye, and then going, but rather it's going home and asking permission from those that remain that you might go. And what Jesus is saying here. is that he has a greater call upon our lives than anybody else does. It's not about asking permission of somebody else to follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who has that call upon our lives. So what this man wants to do is probably go and ask permission of his parents. You might say if he was of a certain age, that would be appropriate, but this applies to an adult as well. So it's culturally the right thing to do, to ask permission from those who stay in order that you might go. And Jesus is saying it's not about asking permission. He's claiming greater authority in our lives than anybody else. And in that culture that has such a high view of family, it's shocking. And it would have shocked those who heard it. And actually, it could shock us as well. But the relationship with Jesus must take precedence over everything else. Jesus calls us to follow him. He calls us to put him first. God calls us to worship him and him alone. Everything else comes after that. We'll look in a a few moments what the implications on that are for us because there are some implications for us even though it might not be literally going home and asking permission there are some things that this passage says to us that we need to take note of and we'll come back to that in a few moments but if you've got your Bible open you'll see that the verses before that talk about some opposition that Jesus had from a particular Samaritan village and not everyone responds well to Jesus' invitation There are some villages, clearly, that didn't want him around and weren't prepared to receive him well. But actually, this is not just about a Samaritan village. There are lots of other people and places that didn't receive Jesus well then. And there are lots of other places and people that don't receive Jesus well now as well. You can probably relate to that. Maybe you've spoken to your friends about what it means for you to follow Jesus. Maybe you've spoken to somebody at work. Maybe you've had those sort of conversations and it hasn't been as well received as perhaps you'd hoped for. Maybe over a period of time you've been praying for somebody and you've been thinking, at the right time I want to share something of the good news of Jesus with them. And that moment comes and you take the big gulp of breath and you go for it and it isn't well received. Maybe you've had that experience. That was true for Jesus as well. There were people and places that didn't receive him so well. There are others that did. You see, it's not about the Samaritans because in John 4 we're told about another Samaritan village that received Jesus warmly after he'd spoken to the woman at the well. And she went back and told her Jesus and we're told what a good response the village made. So it's not about the Samaritans. It's just a fact that some people respond well to Jesus and some don't. And you know what? You never know quite which camp people are going to be in until you ask the question. You can think it through all you like in advance. You think, well, I'm sure they wouldn't want to respond to Jesus or I'm sure that person wouldn't want to come on an Alpha call. So I can't imagine them coming to a guest service. You know what? You'll never know unless you ask. And you might just be surprised. Because there were some villages that responded well to Jesus and others that didn't. And the same is true today. There'll be some people that the Holy Spirit has been working in already and are just waiting for an invitation for you, from you to a guest service. Maybe a social event that your small group's putting on. Maybe an Alpha course. Maybe for you to share something of your testimony. It's just the right time and just the right moment and they'll respond well. Well, maybe they won't. But you'll never quite know unless you make the ask unless you have that conversation. It was true for Jesus, and it's true for us. But listen, if you don't get a good response, you don't have to call fire down from heaven, as the disciples wanted to do, rather unhelpfully. You carry on loving people. Because people aren't a project. You love people because Jesus first loved them anyway. You love people because that's what God calls us to do. So regardless of what the result of the conversation is, whether it's positive or negative, let's keep loving people and let's keep looking for opportunities to share something of the good news with them. In a few verses before that, you've got an argument that breaks out among the disciples about who's going to be more important in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be greater? Who's going to be right next to Jesus? Who's going to be, who's going to have the, you know, the best crown? Or whatever it might be. B in the context they were talking about. Every now and then you get a glimpse into the disciples' lives and you can think sometimes that they get things so right, and they get lots right, <laughs> and sometimes they get things so wrong. Anybody else like that? Oh, it's just me. Okay, well clearly it's just me, so I'm preaching this purely for my own benefit, I guess then. Sometimes I get it right and sometimes I get it wrong. Maybe you are like that. And that's true for the disciples here. And here you get a glimpse of them getting it wrong. And Jesus has to explain things to them yet again. I shouldn't have been thinking about who was going to be the greatest. That's not important. The Bible makes it clear that what God rewards is faithfulness. I think when we, when we get to heaven, I think there'll be some surprises. Because God doesn't reward public visibility. He rewards faithfulness. And so it isn't about those who have preached to the most people or done something else that you think, "Ah, oh, well, it must be them because they're a famous Christian. Actually, God rewards faithfulness. So the question for us this morning is, are you being faithful with what God has given you to do? What He's spoken into your life, are you being obedient? Are you being faithful with what he's given you? It's not about public visibility. It's about faithfulness. But this whole passage, uh, passage kicks off with Jesus healing the boy who has an evil spirit. That's where, where the passage we read starts in verse 37 there. So Peter, James and John come down from what was quite literally a mountaintop experience. We use that sort of phrase, don't we, to describe a remarkable encounter? Maybe an encounter with God is a mountaintop experience in your life. Well, this was literally that for them. They would have used that phrase, I'm sure. They'd seen Jesus transfigured. They'd seen Moses and Elijah uh, appearing as well. And they come down from that into what seems to be quite a chaotic scene where a large crowd had gathered. A man had brought his son to Jesus uh, for him to heal him and deliver him of an evil spirit, to so set him free from a demon, and the disciples can't do it. And so they come to Jesus, and that's why we, we pick up the the account there in uh, in verse thirty seven and thirty eight. And so they bring this lad to Jesus, and Jesus deals with the situation. He rebukes the evil spirit. This this boy is set free, and is returned to his father wonderfully restored and made whole once again. So what do we learn from those verses about these things then? Well, here are a few things about demons and evil spirits. Here's what we learn from this passage. Number one, evil spirits are a reality and Satan does have power. See, perhaps the cleverest move by the devil is to get people to believe he's almost a comic character in a red suit with a couple of horns and a funny shaped fork. One commentator said this, the greatest achievement by the powers of darkness would be to persuade us that they don't exist. I mean, I want to spend loads of time talking about the devil because I'd much rather spend loads of time talking about Jesus. But evil spirits are reality, and Satan does have power. You see that in the Gospels. It worked throughout Scripture, in fact. But it's not unlimited. Even though he would try and have you think otherwise, Satan's power is limited. So whilst evil spirits are reality, their power is curbed. Number two, don't, don't blame demons for everything. You see, there's two extremes in the Christian life. Either we can uh, say that you know demons don't exist at all, or we can go to the other extreme and blame them for absolutely everything. Actually, both extremes are wrong. In most cases, both extremes—I mean, most cases—extremes are wrong, aren't they? In this case, both extremes are wrong because it would be wrong to blame demons for everything. Sometimes they are to blame. Sometimes they're not. So don't give the devil too much credit. He doesn't deserve it. And actually, you still need to take personal responsibility for your actions. We all do. We can't just blame it on a demon, saying, the demon made me do it. Actually, particularly where sin's involved, you've got to take personal responsibility. And you're the one that needs to confess it and repent of it and come to Jesus with it. So a demon may or may not be involved, but we still need to take personal responsibility for our actions. So that was number 2 don't blame demons for everything. Number 3 God and Satan are not equal opponents. God and Satan are not equal opponents. This is not like a, you know a wrestling match where you have two fairly even matched heavyweights in the ring and you're you're thinking I'm not sure who's going to win today could be either. God and Satan are not equal opponents. God is the creator. Satan is created. Amen? The Bible says there's a fallen angel who rebelled against God. This is not an equal battle. And again, Satan may may try and make us think otherwise, but they are not equal. This is not an equal battle. He is a created being. Number four, Satan's power is limited and temporary. Now you might look around at the world and wonder on this one, but it's true. You see, we know the end of the story. If you've read the end of the Bible, you'll know how it finishes. You'll know in Revelation that it makes it very, very clear that Jesus wins. Yes? You've read that bit? Revelation 20 talks about it particularly. So Satan may get some victories along the way, but you can be sure of one thing, his final and eternal doom is settled. We know how it's going to finish. The Bible makes it very, very clear. So his power is limited and it's temporary. Number five, when it comes to sickness, demons are sometimes the cause or part of the cause, but not always. You might be thinking, well, that's a bit confusing. Well, that's just how it is. So some sickness is just the result of a physical injury. You know, you might have broken your leg, you might have fallen over, come off your bike and you know broken your broken your ankle or your leg or something. It's just a physical injury that that's happened. Might just be one of those things. Sometimes sickness is to do with sin. You might have been on your bike escaping from the bank you were robbing. What's the root? The root isn't the bike, the root is sin. Shouldn't be doing that in the first place. You fell out of the tree because you were nicking the apples. You know, it's a result of doing something wrong, isn't it? To use a slightly more humorous analogy. But sometimes the demonic is involved as well. Sometimes the root is demonic. Sometimes there is a demon involved and Satan is the, is the one who's at the root of it. That's why we need this sermon when we pray for people. We need to be asking Jesus, What is it, Lord? What's going on here, really? What's going on in this person's life? Jesus didn't just use one model to pray for people, to heal the sick, to cast out demons even. He looked to see what his father was doing and then did that. There's a clue there, isn't there, for us. Let's just see what God's doing and go with that. So when it comes to sickness, demons are sometimes the cause, part of the cause, but not always. Number six, we're commanded to heal the sick and cast out demons. Jesus didn't tell us to pray for the sick. Do you notice that? What he tells his disciples to do is to heal the sick and cast out demons. It's quite a difference, isn't it? It's not just praying for someone that feels slightly better along the way. Sorry that they're sick, but we'll just pray for their comfort. Jesus makes it very clear. Go out, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, cast out demons. When Jesus sent out the 12 and then the 72, as we'll look at next time, the instructions really were were quite clear what they were to do. And so healing the sick and dealing with demons as uh, we encounter them is just part of what we should be doing in the normal Christian life. That's just part of following Jesus, being obedient to what is said to to us. Number seven, it's Jesus' power and his authority that he has given to us. It's his power and his authority that he's given to us. And we only do it because he has given us the authority to do it and the instruction to do it. It's his idea. It's his authority. Not about yours or mine, it's his. Number eight, Jesus would usually command the evil spirit to go. So similarly, actually often you find Jesus speaking to the sickness and commanding Healing, commanding the sickness or the evil spirit to go. Sometimes the Bible talks about a spirit of infirmity. So some infirmities are caused by evil spirits. Too often, I think, we pray for the sickness, don't we? Do you ever find yourself doing that when you're praying for somebody who's unwell? You find yourself praying for the sickness. So it might be someone who's got a bad shoulder, for example. You end up praying for their bad shoulder, I don't want to bless the bad shoulder, I want the bad shoulder to be healed. What did Jesus do? He's commanding us to heal the sick. We need to look and say, Lord, what, what's going on here? What's the root of it? What's really happening? And actually, what we shouldn't be doing is just praying for the sickness, it's healing the sick in Jesus' name. And casting out demons when we need to. Number nine that I've got down here it should be an encouraging one to us, so listen carefully for this. Even the disciples got it wrong sometimes. Even the disciples got it wrong sometimes. So in this case, the disciples couldn't cast it out. Well, in the parallel account in Mark 9, it says this, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we, cast, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Or some manuscripts have prayer and fasting. Is having that life of prayer, having that personal encounter with Jesus, hearing his voice, sensing his leading. That's what will prepare you for situations like this. That's what will prepare you for situations like this. And number 10, finally on this list, you should not be afraid, but you should be wise. You should not be afraid, but you should be wise. Those who uh, deal with demonic a lot, uh, who pray for healing a lot, would talk of the necessity of being in a team, not doing it on your own. Do you notice Jesus sent the disciples out in twos? Do you think there's a clue for us there? It's helpful to do these things together. You can be praying for one another, supporting. The disciples always, it seemed went out in teams, and even two is a team. So you shouldn't be afraid, but you should be wise. If you know you're going to be dealing with a situation like this, have other people praying as well. Pray with others who have more experience than you. I remember the very first time that I was praying uh, in a sort of a ministry team context. I remember the meeting, and I was praying with some friends of mine who had much more experience than I did. And it was great to pray with them because I learned things. I learnt about how to pray for the sick. I learnt about what is it helpful to say and what is it helpful not to say. I learnt it's a good idea to pray with your eyes open because you can see what God's doing. It's handy because if they're going to fall over you can catch them too. But actually when you pray with somebody with your eyes open you you can see what God's doing very often. You can see how the person is responding to what you're praying. But too often we find ourselves praying for somebody, eyes closed, head down, and you can't see what God's doing. So I learned some of those things by praying with others who had more experience than I did. I'd encourage us to do that. Maybe get some training. That's certainly something we're looking at in Jubilee at the moment. We might have some training for people to to learn about these things. And don't be afraid of asking for help, thinking, I'm not quite sure what to do here. (laughs) That's okay, you can ask. And there are others that, you, others that can help you. So what are some of the implications for us then, just before we finish? Well, there are three main sections that we looked at this morning. The first one talks about following Jesus. And we said that Jesus has a higher call on our life than anyone or anything else. So what does that mean for you in practice this week? Who else has a call on you? Who else has a voice into your life? Maybe your boss, maybe your husband or wife, your family. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your hobbies that have a demand on your life. What's the order of priority for you? How does it fit? How does it all work together? Even the church has a call on people. But that must come after we follow Jesus first. And secondly, love and serve our family. So how are you doing with that? Have you got that order right? Have you worked out what it is? Have you sat down and thought about who has a call on your life? And are you really following Jesus wholeheartedly and first? Have you got things in the right order? Maybe a good question to ask is if you're married, would your husband or wife say that you've got things in the right order? Often that's a more revealing answer than the one that you might give. How are you doing with that? Jesus calls us to follow him wholeheartedly. To give ourselves firstly to him. To loving him and serving him. Following him. And if we get that right, if we seek first the kingdom of God above everything else, then actually we find that other things then can get into the right priority in our lives. I wonder perhaps are you waiting for another time? There were some people here who said they wanted to follow Jesus but were waiting for another time when supposedly things might be better for them. I want to encourage you this morning, friends, don't put off following Jesus for a future date. If the Lord has spoken to you about something, don't just put it off to another time. Think, oh, it'll be easier. Once, the, uh, you know, once I've changed jobs or it'll be, it'll be easier once the, the kids are left home or I'll have more flexibility when this happens or when I, when I just get that promotion or whatever it might be whatever reason you use or excuse you might think of my encouragement to you this morning is this don't put off following Jesus or being obedient to his call to another time follow him now be obedient now Even as I was preparing this week I really felt that for some of you there'd be things that God's speaking to you now that you've thought those things. You thought, oh yeah, well that would be easy when the kids have left home or once we've changed jobs or whatever excuse or reason you might put. I just felt there were a few people here this morning that would apply to. And if that's you, my encouragement to you this morning is be obedient to the Lord now. Sarah and I are trying to teach our children to be obedient to us first time. And those of you who are parents will know what that means. So if I ask our kids to do something, I want them to do it first time, not have to repeat myself several times. Any other parents relate to that one? i sure it's not just our kids. It's true, isn't it? We shouldn't expect our kids to do something after we've told them the fourth or fifth time, be it wash your hands, tidy your room, get ready for dinner, whatever it might be. We want them to be obedient the first time. I wonder, do you think maybe God thinks that of us sometimes? Wouldn't it be great if, <laughs> if they were obedient first time? If God's spoken something to you, be obedient to him first time and every time. And then just as we finish, <coughs> let me just comments about praying and the sick, healing the sick, casting out demons as we saw in this passage here don't blame the demonic for everything but don't blame it for nothing either we need to be aware of the devil's schemes but not give him too much credit so Ephesians 6 verse 11 Paul says put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes and he has got schemes he has got schemes to pull you down and draw you away from Jesus. He has got schemes to confuse you, to make things difficult for you in your obedience to Christ. So take your stand against them. Be aware of them, but don't blame him for everything. And I want us to commit to learn together about healing. I want us to be a church that experiences more and more the presence of God and Jesus healing people. And my guess is that that will only happen as we are more and more obedient to him, and we step out in those areas. Because we can say we like about, yeah, I want to be a place where Jesus heals the sick, but the reality is if we never pray for anybody, probably won't see it. And there's a challenge to all of us to be prepared to make that step, to step out, to be obedient to him in these things. For those of you who've ever tried anything new, maybe you know, you've you had a new job. Maybe you've prayed out in a meeting for the first time or, or led your small group meeting for the first time. Actually, the way you get better at those things is just by doing them more often, isn't it? And have other people helping you and training you and coaching you and say, well, that was great what you did there, but really don't say it like that. Maybe say it like this. That's true in the workplace It's true in church life as we grow in the Lord and and try new things with Him. And friends, it's true in this area as well. As we seek to step out in healing the sick, delivering those who are afflicted by the demonic, actually we get better at it and grow in it the more we do it. That's just how it is. And sometimes it feels difficult to start with. And you think, oh, but I'm not quite sure how it's going to work out here. God knows that. But I want to encourage us this morning to be those who are willing to be obedient and to step out and learn and practice and see more and more of God breaking out. I guess all of us, would put our hand up and say, yeah, we want to see more sick people made well. Wouldn't we? We all want to see more people healed. We all want to see more people delivered and set free from that which oppresses them. We all want to see that. So I want to encourage us all. Be those that might press into God for that and to step out and be obedient to him Amen Can we stand together? I'd like to pray as we as we close Let's just be quiet before the Lord for a moment Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book. Lord, thank you it's not just a historical account. But thank you, Lord, that it leads us to you. Thank you, Lord, as we read your word, we encounter you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the truth that's in here. We thank you that you've spoken to us from it. And so, Father, I want to pray for everything that we've looked at this morning, I pray that it would take root in our lives. And though whatever it is that for each of us we've been nudged by the Holy Spirit in, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in us with that. Father, for any who have put on being obedient to you for another time, I want to pray right now that, God, you would come to them Thank you that you don't condemn, but thank you that you gently whisper. And Lord, I want to pray for that gentle whisper of heaven once again. And Lord, I want to pray then for enthusiastic and obedient responses. Lord, for any who have even said that, well, it'll be better when dot dot dot. Father, I pray that you would speak once again and that you would help people to be obedient to you now, in whatever circumstance or situation is ahead of them right now. Lord, I I pray, Father, that you would speak once again, and then, Lord, I pray for an obedient response first time. And, Lord, as we commit ourselves to to pressing into you for uh, healing the sick and seeing those who are uh, affected by the demonic delivered, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us, give us courage and boldness. Thank you, Lord, for the the examples of the disciples. Lord, I didn't always get it right, but you spoke and you helped them to get it right next time. Lord, help us to step out in these things. Help us to be committed to seeing you move. Lord, in order that you might be glorified. Lord Jesus, that's our heart cry this morning. That you might be glorified. That you might be made famous. Lord, that your kingdom might advance. Lord, in our lives individually. Lord, in the places we live. Lord, in this city, in this nation and the nations. Lord, we want your kingdom to advance. And we know this is part of it. And so we pray, Father, that you'd help us to see your kingdom advance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. God bless you. We're done for this morning, so I look forward to seeing you on uh, the next Sunday here at uh, 10 o'clock at Quads. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.